0: Of tremendous impact when we get there is going to be, first of all, the wedding of the Lamb, and that's beautiful. In other words, we're going to heaven to be married, and uh, and you don't have to worry about a husband. And you single folks, you're going to have a husband. Isn't that marvelous? Very strange, very different wedding. The Lamb is the groom. He is the bridegroom. And if you didn't know it, yeah. And February is our month of love, so this is, this is part of this love festival. And we are the bride. The church is the bride. And the scripture says that after the wedding of the Lamb, we then will go into a moment of, of judgment, but positive judgment. Which, which isn't judgment, but it's just be a moment where Jesus, where his heavenly father will decide what they will give us for our faithfulness. And it's beautiful. I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. If you look for it, you'll find it. And it says he will give out crowns and there will be stars in the crowns. And they will be given out for faithful work on earth. And I've heard so many stories about those moments where we'll be expecting the call of a name like Billy Graham. And the Lord will say Paquita Rivera. Okay? Grandma Moses from the hills, the Appalachian hills. Would you step forward? I'm not saying Billy's going to be left out. Don't anybody think? But just, we're going to have a presentation of the strangest people you've ever laid eyes on. And these little people are going to come up and you're going to say, Who are they? Where'd they come from? And angels will be bearing crowns for them. And the crowns will be filled with stars glittering. And you'll say, I never knew about her. where did he come from? I mean, who knows him? And there almost with the sound of trumpets, we will find out what they did. And we will find out that they loved God with all of their hearts, weren't into who's seeing and who's not seeing, were just into that commission and that call of God. They will be handed crowns. Doesn't that sound beautiful? When the crowns are handed out, and I'm sure Billy will have his crown, and I'm sure all the evangelists that have lived and worked for the Lord but we're going to see a world of unknowns. We're going to see a world of people. We don't know where they were, where they came out of. We, we, we don't even know their names. And if they give their areas where they live, you know, some corner of the South Bronx, you know, some, some, some big city project with 36 floors in bed you say, I, I never knew. I never knew. No, because you see, there are computers in heaven that don't miss a thing. Because those computers pick up spirits. Pick, pick up the, the breath and the life of man. Spirits to pick up motives. Uh, you know what I mean? That's, that's what heaven is all about. You know, we're worried so much about, you know, how much they know about you here on earth and press a button in our modern computers and out comes your name and every place you've been and all you do and how much you make and who you are. Well, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be a great day up there. But I'm telling you all of this to tell you one thing. That when all the crowns are given out, when all the crowns are given out, and when everybody is sat and we've sat at the lambs, uh, at the table, that gorgeous table, there then is going to be a moment because we'll be shifting from heaven to earth to reign with him. But in that shift, in that shift, there's going to be a moment when we all stand around the throne. And you know what the Bible says? that each one will take their crown and remove it and everybody will rush their crowns to the throne and place it at Jesus' feet. You gave it to us, but we're not worthy. You are worthy. That's why when we sing, he's exalted. You better know he's exalted. And he will be exalted above and beyond anything you've ever heard of or anything you've ever known. Moments of tremendous exaltation. And we're going to find out then, and oh, I, I pray God that we can find it out now, that he is the center of heaven. That he is the center of everything that happens up there. That he is, he is heaven in terms of what it would mean to us. And that's why sometimes you've got to go into the book of Revelation, you've got to glimpse a, into the truth of what's written there. And what does it say about the Lamb of God? And what does it say about who He is? It's interesting because in the dither that opens up the book of Revelation, there is a cry because there is a book that has to be opened. It's a prophetic book with prophetic things. And there's no one that can open the book. And the cry of heaven and the flutter of the wings and the questions asked is, who can open up? And then the cry is, there is no one worthy. No one can open up the books until the cry comes from the throne. The lamb is worthy. Worthy is the lamb. And Jesus opens up the books. Hallelujah. So somehow or other, everything stands still. Everything stood still in the Sheol. Everything stood still in Hades. Everything stood still on earth when at 12 noon, We had that tremendous eclipse at the death of Christ. And even in the heavens, in that glorious time of redemption, in that glorious time of being there, there will be a moment when everything stands still. And each time that it stands still, it gives glory to the Lamb of God. Jesus is the focus of hell. Jesus is the focus of earth. Jesus is the main focus of heaven. And Jesus is the focus of eternity. And I would say something to you, but maybe we couldn't carry it. Maybe we couldn't understand it. But there'll be a time when Jesus and God, we won't know the difference. And we don't have to know the difference, for they're the same. But on earth, we needed a Jesus. And he is everything. I share that with you this morning because my heart cry for you at this time as I share God's word with you, is just that. He's got to be your center. If he was the center and is the center of hell itself, you say, sister, what do you mean the center of hell? Well, people will know that what they rejected is God's holy truth. And they rejected it knowing it. That's why I tell you and I'll always tell you there won't be anybody in hell that did not choose to be there. You say, well, I don't think anybody stands up and says, I want to go to hell, send me. No, you don't. But when you say you don't want Jesus, that's what you're saying. That's all. It's just the other side of the coin, but it's the same coin. So that's why we've got to understand that God sent his son because he was the only one that could redeem us. No one else could. You see, it was he that came to earth that had to literally grab a hold of the demons. And I'm saying that very carefully. The demons that possess our life on earth, and there are demons. You said, listen, don't get too rough on me. I mean, say bad things, say nasty things, say, hey, uh, but don't say demons because that makes us shudder. Well, anything that will keep you out of heaven should make you shudder. And it is the power of the world. It is the power of the world. And this is why we don't, we, we don't, we don't want to scare you. I don't want to scare you. I don't believe in scary messages. I heard too many as a child. I heard so many scary messages that I used to think about it. My sister used to think about it. We used to think about the coming of the Lord and she was always buried in cement and she had me with her. And she'd wake up and said, everybody left except us two. I said, why didn't we go? She says, we were in cement. I said, no, we're not. She says, honest, we couldn't move. We were in cement. And I said, you shut up. Don't you tell mama. Because we'll have a sermon for the next 10 years. And thank God, we didn't get buried in cement, neither she nor I. But I tell you this, and I say it with all of my heart, Christ has got to be the center of our existence. He's got to be. He's got to win out. Now you say, well, what do you mean? Can't I just accept him and, and, and can't, we make it, can't we make it nice? I love that. Can't we make it nice? Well, I wish we could make it nice, but there's some things we've got to fight with. And a fight isn't nice, but we've got to fight. We've got to fight. We've got to make up our minds and fully understand. What is this Jesus about? What is this salvation about? What is this uh, accepting Christ about? Uh, what, what is this redemption about? What is it about? Well, it's about knowing that God loved us. It's about knowing that he sent his son. It's about knowing that that son stands at the door and says, if you open the door, I will come in and I will sup with you. And after we've had a good supper together and after we know each other, after we've smiled with one another and after we've held hands, after we've chatted for a little time, and after you feel my warmth and know my love, then we'll open the door and we'll walk out together and you will find green pastures. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, we've got to get to know him so that then we can walk out and find those green pastures. We don't. We want to say, hi, Jesus, where are the pastures? It doesn't work that way. You've got to sup with him. You've got to sup with him. You've got to sit down at a table. That's what he says. There's no running in. There's no running out. You see, there's no microwave dinners with Jesus. No. There's no hot dogs on the corner. There's none of that. He says, Let me in and I'll sup with you. Nice old-fashioned supper. Maybe a little fireplace. Maybe just a crock of soup. Bread that's broken. Wine that's served. But he sups with you. It's so important. You see, even in his introduction, even when he says, open the door and let me in, he then tells you what happens when you let him in. And then it goes on. And his invitations are varied and they're different. Because he knows it takes different invitations for different people. When he invited the disciples, he didn't say, I want you to follow me. I'm going to make you the world's greatest theologians. You will set up the authority of church and power. You will have it all in your hands. You will be the mighty man of the next... You know, they would have looked at him and said, Hey, fellas, let's get out of here. We've met the nut of the year. But he didn't. He watched them a while. Saw them come in with an empty boat. And he says, listen, why don't you, why don't you go out again? And they said, sir, we're awfully tired. We've been out all night. He says, no, but go on out. Go on out now. And instead of throwing to the left, throw to the right. And I like Peter's answer, only because you say so. I like that. It's the only time we find him very obedient. Only because you say so. And they went out. You know what happened, don't you? They had to call two or three other boats because their boat was going under and their nets were breaking and there was so much. And when they came in with this whole thing, they looked at this man who knew more about fish than he, they knew. And I said to him, they just looked at him and he said, he said follow me. And they were startled. And then he added something that made it okay. And I'll make you fishers of men. Oh, that's okay. Why? Because they knew how to fish. Different fish. But we know how to fish. Don't you love Jesus? I love him. I love him. You know why I love him? I love him because he treats me like what I am. Okay? When Jesus comes to me, he doesn't come with Sunday words. He doesn't come with 50 cents words. Uh, When he comes to me, he doesn't throw a dictionary at me and the words, are 13 letters and over. He doesn't. You know what he says? She's not too sharp. She's not too warm. She's kind of in the middle there. Let me be kind. You know what he says? He says, Amy, I love you. Oh. I understand that. Didn't take much. Amy, I love you. And I said, "Wow." Me? And he says, "Yeah, you." I understood. You see, that that's the way he deals with people. That's the master. And that is his master plan. You see, through the years religion has gotten sophisticated. Religion has taken on wings. We've built cathedrals and we may build one someday, so I'm not knocking cathedrals not knocking cathedrals. What I'm knocking, at, knocking is the traditionalism that sets in when we move out of humble places like this. All of a sudden, we've got to act like our stained windows. Hmm. All of a sudden, we've got to walk like our thick rugs. Woo. Right? All of a sudden, we must face people with an air of holiness. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, God, I ask the Lord, our Lord, help us. Just give us a week with Joe doing what he does up here, right? Not knowing the choruses, not knowing when they come in or when they come out, you know. One of those moments when we're just about reaching heaven and then he brings out a chorus like tom, 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 tom. And you say, what happened? What happened? What happened? But that's okay. Keep us. Because you see, the beauty of Christ is seen through our humanity. And he provides that because we saw his divinity through his humanity. Had he not been human, we would have never seen him. We couldn't have judged a spirit. We didn't know the spirit of God. We couldn't have judged somebody in, in long flowing gowns. Or someone that walked above the earth. We couldn't have handled it. Buddha said, So long. We're off. This day, I am thinking in my heart of just one great thought Christ, our center. If he's going to be the center of hell, and he will be the center of hell, because everybody there will be there through rejection of him. And the scripture said that they will cry. The scripture says they'll gnash their teeth. The scripture says they'll know they've rejected him. And even in the future with the Jewish people and those that are alive at that time, even then, the scripture says, they'll look upon him, him who they rejected and accept him. That'll be in his second coming with his church. He's the center of every prophetic thought Why can he not be the center of our lives? When all of this is over, Jesus will be in charge. When all of this is over, when all the earth and the dominions of the earth and the powers of the earth, when it's all over, he'll still be in charge. Isn't that something? Now, how do you get Jesus to be your center? Well, first of all, you just invite him in, as I said. He'll come in and he'll sup with you. What does that mean? I don't think there's anything more intimate other than the description of merit to life. I don't think there's anything more intimate and more beautiful than to sit down and break bread with somebody. There's a a warmth about it. There's a beauty about it. And isn't it strange? Rather than eating with somebody you don't like and bothers you, you'd rather eat alone. Say amen. Yeah, it's the truth. Why? Because supping is important to you. It's important to you when you sit down to break bread, when you sit down to have a moment of tranquility, when you sit down to have a something, whatever you're going to have, whether it be a sandwich on the steps of the library on 42nd Street or whether it be a dinner at Fortunato's right there on 41st Street, whether it be either one of the two places. There's something about sitting down to eat that you only want to do it with people that understand and know you. Because there's something beautiful about supping. And Jesus wants to sup with us. Now we go on to say this. Why isn't Jesus the center? You say he's so important. Well, why isn't he the center of the whole wide world? If he's so good, why doesn't everybody receive him? If he has so much to offer, why? Ah, Because life has crowned other kings. And you've got to have the battle with the kings before you let the king of kings come in. And you've got to straighten that out, folks. And you say, what do you mean the battle of the kings? Jesus taught about the greatest battle between God and mammon. You know what mammon is? Money. You say, I don't have no problem with that because I don't have any money. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Got a nickel? How many got a nickel right now? You got a nickel. Come on, put your hands up. Come on, don't be afraid. Got a nickel? Some strange people back there, they don't even have a nickel. A nickel! A nickel! Sure you got a nickel. Anybody really don't got a nickel? I want to give you a nickel. Okay? All right. Okay. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Our fortune is not in millions. If all you've got is a nickel, I got news for you. That's your fortune. Can I tell you something? There's as much avarice in your care for that nickel as there is in Christina. She's just dead already. Onassis' care for her five and a half billion. Are you hearing me? You say, oh, oh, come on. Now, what a spectrum. Yeah, what a spectrum. Because you see, avarice doesn't come in size. It comes in spirit. And when you've got it, you've got it over pennies like you can have it over millions. Now, this is one of the monsters. And money has so many facets. It, and every facet is ugly. Ugly. When I think of the Boskies and when I think of Wall Street and when I think of the, uh, the stock market and when I think of the big brokerage firms and when I think of everything that I've already lost all faith in, uh, can I tell you something? There is so much wheeling and dealing that uh, the only one I'm starting to trust in this whole wide world is the one that saved me, that's the Lord. Because everybody else seems to have an angle. Everybody else seems to have a wedge. Everybody else seems to have a, a way. Now, that, that once money possesses you, once the desire for money possesses you, it, it is an ugly green monster. And you say, Sister Amy, what do you do? What is it? Well, can you imagine out of the parables of Jesus and out of the teachings of Jesus, and we have maybe a score of 1 to 25, 17 times he mentions money. 17 times, whether it be in form of stewardship, whether it be in, in, in form of, 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 of a, what shall we say, uh, being in charge of a, of a farm or being in charge of this, that, or the other thing. But that's how many times. In other words, if you don't believe me, I'm going to share something with you. Money is the number one object discussed by the Lord in the New Testament. Isn't that strange? Isn't that, and it's not strange. It's because it's the biggest king that lies over our lives. That's all. That's all. Isn't it? Isn't it strange? Uh, you can tell somebody you're sick, and they, they're not too sure if you are or you aren't. Uh, you can tell somebody uh, you have to take care of a sick aunt or a sick grandmother. Uh, nobody's too sure of that, okay? But tell somebody that you can't come because you're working. Ooh, what a respect. Oh, no, he's working. Isn't it interesting how working makes it okay? Working makes it okay. No, when somebody says they're working, I mean, what are you going to do? Jim, what are you going to do? You can't do nothing. They're working. Okay? That's one of the situations. Why? Why such a respect for work? Sister Amy, I told you the joke I had in my father's church, right? Couples used to have fights and then stopped coming to church. Yeah, they just stopped coming to church. When I get a hold of them for counseling, maybe that's why so many left. I would simply say, instead of getting mad at the church instead of getting mad at your get mad at your job. And I used to tell him, When next time you two have a fight, don't go to work. Stay home. And I remember a man looked at me and said, Ay que graciosa. <laughs> you know, you think you're so cute, huh? Yeah. Why take it out on the Lord? Take it out, take it out on your job. Why? There's a tremendous respect. And it's not that we respect, because once we get on the job, if we've got two coffee breaks, we take four. Right? And if the boss isn't around, woo! Hi, old silver! People go shopping, people come in. Oh! Yeah, I love that boy, there's one advertisement, I don't know what it is for. You know, the kid that comes in, the boss says, do this, do this, do this. Oh, it's Maxwell House Coffee. And he goes in and he drinks his coffee and then he throws on all the machines. You hear the click, 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 click. The boss is ready to come in. Oh no, this guy's working. He's got all his machinery on. He's sitting back with a cup of coffee. <laughs> we have given money. We have given work. We have given the power of the dollar all the power it needs. We have given it all the respect it needs. We have bowed down. so You say, Sister Amy, well, isn't that the way it should be? Let me go on to another thing. This might hurt you worse. Our next situation, our next kingdom, our next king is ego. Okay? And that's interesting. You don't have to have a nickel to have (laughs) ego. Ego is you. (laughs) Empty pockets, full pockets, it's you. And what a king we are. Just say it, just say ego, and something's gonna happen. I mean, if we get any bigger, we'll blow this place but Ego. Oh, 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 size 17. Huh? Ego. Why is ego a king? Because it's me. And we're living in an era that's absolutely fabulous. 20 years ago, we had a book that stayed on the shelves on the number one bestseller list for at least seven or eight years. Numero uno. Take care of numero uno, we love this. It meant cuddle yourself, hug yourself, love yourself. Look in the mirror and go, Yeah! It said, pat yourself, it said, hug yourself, it said, cuddle yourself, it says, woo, do anything. Ego. And you had people going around, I mean, you know, I'm gonna be me. Hey folks. When me has not learned the basic laws of life, it's like me without a shower. It stinks. Excuse me. And that's the king that stands up and says, No, look, I'm not going to church. I just didn't feel like it. I want to be, I want to live in the freedom that if I want to just lay out on a Sunday morning, there's no church and there's no power that's going to move me. You better believe there isn't any, because that king is a mighty king. You have no worry. if you've given yourself over to the king of ego, you better believe no one's going to move you. But can I tell you something? The scripture says that when you cry out to me, I won't be there." And you say, "Oh, that's, that's God being, being a cruel, God being a punishment. no, no, no no, no 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 no, no no, 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 no. You see, God's promises are there if He is your center. If he's not your center, even if he should try, he can't invade what you have made your center. You see, he can't invade the influence money has over your life until you surrender that money to him. You say, well, isn't God more powerful than money? Yes, he is more powerful than money. But God only works on the basis of surrender. God only works on the basis of your will. God only works on the basis of when you say, Let, come in, Lord. That's the only thing. Other than that, he can't. You see, God can't dethrone anybody from your life. You must dethrone them. And once you dethrone them, God will move in and he'll become your king. But you've got to go through the process of dethroning. That's not easy. It's not easy. Because ego also has many ugly faces. Our rage. Our human intemperance. The fight we've got within us that doesn't belong to God. It belongs to our flesh. Have you ever woke up one morning and you say, you're going to be in total control, and you're not? And everybody you meet, you lash out, at and you roll them over. You can pulverize a few of them, too. That's, that's ego. That's us. And so we have to tell God. We have to understand that until ego is put aside. Why do you think it's so hard to commit your life to Jesus? Why is it so hard? Let, let's not talk about Jesus. Let's talk about the commitment of marriage. Just, 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 for, just for fun. Let's have a little fun. Okay? Let's take the easy road in first. Let's take the easy road in. Marriage today is not looked upon as a commitment. It's looked upon as this. It's a, it's a bargaining. It's a status in terms of you know what you're in charge of and you know what you're in charge of. Okay? If it works out, we stay. And if it doesn't, hey, we're free. Okay? Now, that's unbiblical, ungodly, and that's why marriages are going for two, one's gone. And we don't even know what holds the other one together. Only if God does. You understand what I mean? But outside of the reason God, there may be many reasons. Fear, loneliness, money. Hey, lots of reasons. But that's the way it goes. That's why I say, if in our normal life, we we can't do it. Now let's think in terms of the spiritual life where God doesn't say, uh, in other words, it's not a marriage contract. God says, give me your everything. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And it's righteousness and all things will be added unto you. All things will be added. There's a promise involved. But what does it take? Seek ye first. There, there's God's demand. First. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means God's going to go first. His kingdom is going to come in behind him. And then the righteousness, the right things in that kingdom. Not the way you see the kingdom, but the way the Bible teaches the kingdom. There's a lot of churches out there, a lot of people out there. They've got their own kingdoms going. Yeah, they've got their own ideas of kingdom. They've got their own spark plugs. They've got their own energies. No, it's only as the word of God says it. So we've got to understand that he's got to be our center. Now I'm going I'm to show you something. Uh, Their status, which has to do with position, high position in life. Or it has to do with people that are born into royalty. It has to do with people that uh, have inherited a great deal of money. It has to do with those people that are trained to be rich and to be important and to be powerful. It's what makes our eyes boggle at the Rolls Royce going down the street. You know what I mean. Not a common car, right? It's what makes our eyes boggle when the mink coats reach the ankles. And there's enough to make two coats for two of us. You know what I mean. I mean, hey, come on. Those are the things. When diamonds and gold and furs are worn like it were water, somebody poured them on. Okay? Status. Can I tell you something? Some people die for it. And many of the people that do have that status and lose it, let me tell you something. They walk all around the earth looking for the fakes so no one will know they lost it because it's so important. Okay? Okay? Last but not least, of the kings on our throne, power. The hunger for power. Now this is interesting. The hunger for power can be manifested in wanting to have authority and to execute authority and to execute it well, okay? And I shared with you Tuesday night that out of 80%, or better said out of 100% of jobs that offer higher salaries or power control, 80% go for the power control. Isn't that strange? You'd think they would go for the money. They don't. They go for the power. Why? Because there's a hunger in here to be in charge. There's a hunger in here to, hey, ride your own bus, drive your own bus. There's a hunger in here to fly your own plane or to row your own boat. There's a hunger. And I'm going to tell you something, it's God-given, it's innate, it belongs to the eternal, and we've gotten it from Him. It's just our misuse, it's just our turning it around. You know why God gives people power? so that they'll know how to choose. You know why God gives people power? So they'll know what to do. You know why God gives people power? Because He's the giver of all good gifts. And any good gift cometh from the Father above, from the Father of lights. That's why when I meet people that are talented, whether it be in theater, whether it be in art, whether it be in whatever it be, I honor them in this terms. uh, What they have is of God. If they don't recognize it, too bad for them. But every good gift cometh from the Father above, the Father of lights. But you know something? It'll only take our surrender. And sometimes when God lets the power turn to dust, and not only does it turn to dust, but it crumbles on us. And when you look around and look for us, we're just a, you know what I mean? It's just a pile of nothing. Because these are the kings. I say to you this day, Let Jesus be your center. Now, let me tell you why. If money is your center, she can only reinforce that which channels out to money. And that's why the rich have to keep everybody happy with money. They have to keep their families happy with money. They have to keep their friends happy with money. They have to keep the business happy with money. They have to keep. That's the only thing it runs on. It has no other force. It has no other function. It becomes your payoff. Those that are into status, only thing they have to do is to teach other people to gain status. Nothing else. Darling, lift your chin up. Darling, fix your glasses. Get your hair done, your nails, your dress. Ah, that's all they can do. And it's a pity because someone has died and the tears are flowing. And the only counsel is dry your tears. They must not see you in that state. You know, some people think the being stoic is so beautiful. Did you ever see that family? No one cried. I have pity on them. I have pity. I cried for them. They don't have to cry. I cried enough for all of them. Really? Really? That, because you see, anything you put as a power can only move in that vein. It can't move in any other vein. Whether it be ego, ego has got to be lifted up wherever it goes. An egotistical person can never take a corner seat. An egotistical person can hardly take orders, never mind a corner seat. Yeah, they've got to be. All right. Well, what do you do? Well, one egotist can only do another thing, create another egotist that's worse than they are. You see it, you've seen it in corporate worlds. You've seen somebody drink from somebody else's spirit with the desire to walk in with that little brown attache case that they have, right? Almost copying the same gray pinstripe suit, right? And in due time, maybe the little white carnation. Woo-woo! Maybe. But that's the only vein they can flow in. And the power, it's the only thing they have. And when they're dying in their bed, everybody's standing around wondering who's going to get the scepter. Who's going to get the scepter? They have nothing else to give. When Jesus is the center, listen to me carefully. Because there are a lot of other kings, folks. I was going to mention family. We won't have time to go into. Some people have given a tremendous sacredness to the family. Yeah, I mean that. Oh, it's my husband. It's my wife. uh, It's my children. uh, that's That's my world. God bless you. It's not your world. And if it is your world, your world is very sick. And it's pitiful. You say, well, wait a minute. I don't know what you're saying. Doesn't God give us children? And isn't that that our everything? No. Jesus is the everything. Jesus is the everything. Because if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything to give your family. You don't have a thing to offer them. You don't have you don't have anything. You can't offer them the peace that comes uh, that surpasses all understanding. Uh, you can't offer them the love of God that flows through you. Uh, you can't offer them the joy uh, that in sorrow is still there. You can't offer it. Because only if Jesus is your Now listen to the beauty of this. When Jesus is your center, he has power to flow through your money life to flow through your ego. To flow through your power system. To flow through your status system. He has power to flow through all of that. And what does He do as He flows? He breaks what has to be broken. And He sustains what has to be sustained. And when He is the center, He then blossoms out through you. And you then become a follower, a disciple. You've got a smile to give to someone. You've got a handshake to hold. And what little you own Belongs to him and should he whisper to you uh, sustain help do you do it because when he's the center you're dealing with wisdom that's flowing you're dealing with power that's flowing you're dealing with love that's flowing and undying as a mother you won't always be there as a powerful person you won't always be there As a status system symbol, you won't always be there. As money bags, you won't always be there. But he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He said he'd never leave us. So when he's the center, every avenue of your life, because let me tell you something, folks, listen to me. God does not have a premium on poverty. God does not have a premium on us being the lowest and the worst in the world. God does not say bend down and stay down. He doesn't say that. He says to you and he says to me, bow down before me and then I will lift you up. And when I lift you up, no man will tear you down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because you will walk in my power. You will talk in my wisdom. And you will live in my spirit. Nobody can do anything to you. He has got to be our center. And if he's not, we don't have a center. Money is in the center. Power is in the center. Homes and children are in the center. Ego is in the center. Status is in the center. Hey, livelihood. Doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, that's not a center either. They all need centers. Jesus is the center. Would you make him your center? That's all he asks. Shall we pray? Hallelujah.